Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a this summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. everybody uh it's andy richter here uh with another edition another episode another um you know uh mile marker in the uh three questions journey and uh i'm talking today uh with uh somebody i i whose work uh i probably love too much uh christina tosi who is the founder of milk bar and i mean uh, written many many cookbooks and you're here today because you have a new uh, children's book out, right? And first yes. of all, hello. Hello. Hi. But, uh, let's <laughs> hello, get right friend. to the plugs. Get them right out at the top. Let's get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just wrote this kid's book. It's called Every Cake Has a Story. I mean, they call it a kid's book. Actually, they call it a picture book, which uh-huh. I think is funny because there's pictures, but there's also words. Right. Um, but it's like, it's very, it's very much in the spirit of Milk Bar and in, I think what my life's work is to do, which is to remind us all to just take a moment, take a beat, uh, have a bite, uh, and just to remember not to take ourselves so seriously or more specifically in this book, just to like remind ourselves to show up for and bodyguard and protect and let like the kid in us out. A yeah. little bit more in all of the like wonder um, and curiosity that exists in the world. And I suppose on on the kid end to remind kids that like it's going to be all right. Like you, the you of you is the most important part of it. And you're going to be different than everyone else because you are different than everyone else. So like let it out and make some good of it. Good. Yeah. No, it's a really it's a really sweet book. I mean, it took it took me a couple of days to get through it, but uh, I'm, that's, I'm kidding, guys. It's, it's like page six, right? It's yeah, a yeah, real exactly. had to pull out the dictionary a few times. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really and it's beautifully illustrated, too. Um, what was that process? How do you find an illustrator? How do they do they just hook it's you up so with somebody? I mean, they they the publisher gives you um, a list of illustrators and work that they think would be good for you. But it's kind of like you're getting match made, like your words or your vision is getting match made with somebody else's visuals. And it's kind of interesting to see what the publisher thinks you look like in illustrations and then what you think you look like in illustrations it's, right it's a it's it's a it's like dating in a way that i don't ever know that i've been through but our illustrator emily falsley is so incredibly talented and in kids book land you write this um you you write this proposal to your publisher about the book that you want to write in kids book land only the proposal is longer than the actual book itself <laughs> and they just sort of keep going no fewer words fewer words and you actually then come to realize that the work that your incredible illustrating partner does uh is is almost you know equal part weight of your words because you know, he, she, they are doing so much of the work that your words aren't doing through their illustrations. I mean, so much can be said without ever saying a word. Yeah. Stop that yeah. I mean, there's plenty of picture books that are just purely that just pictures. It's, you know, it's, yeah. you know, I mean, that's what movies are or a, a certain kind of movies are ideally supposed to yeah. be, you know, you're supposed to show, not tell. And I imagine that's, that's the same. Now, do you get some say into the illustrator or is it kind of just a, a oh, yeah, totally. Marriage? Oh, totally. Okay, no, 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 yeah. totally. 
um, because they need the two of you to work together well, too, because, right. I mean, in every cake has a story. It's like, no, 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 I'm the cake. It's not frosted on the sides or like, you know, <laughs> make it wackier. It should be bigger. It should go all the way to the ceiling or whatever it is. And yeah. there's a fun there's a fun collaboration that happens there, which is important. But I like the sort of like show, don't tell. I think that's always what I'm trying trying to tell the team that that's always what we're working towards as a team at milk bar or like mm-hmm. feed people, right? Like we don't need to say anything. When you take a bite, the yeah. bite should do all the work in picture yes. book land. The picture should do almost <laughs> all the work, et cetera. I mean, that's the part of it, right? Well, it and the book looks like what I would, it looks like if you smashed one of your cakes on into a book, <laughs> that's so it's perfect. It looks really, it's like colorful and, 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 and beautiful and fun. And just happy. Um, Thank you. I and like I said, I've been a fan of your work because I I'm I'm into food. I like you know fancy restaurants and good restaurants and all kinds of different food. And I cook. Um, and I what I love about what you and you kind of I think maybe spearheaded a movement in the world of sweets and to just make it simple, like to just make mm. it simple and make it because there's so many times. When I go and, you know, shell out a bunch of money at a restaurant and then dessert comes and it's all these precious little things that mm-hmm. would make better jewelry than they would That's an actual it. dessert. You know, when it's like I want to if you say chocolate cake, give me a slice of chocolate cake like my aunt made. You know, yeah, or, don't mess it, with me. Yeah. Don't mess if with my hair pie, like that. Just give me some fucking pie that tastes like blueberries. You know, not- Andy, I'm telling you. So I went to like culinary school to be a professionally trained pastry chef. So I have, as I'm sure you do, a fine appreciation for the beauty that happens at these courses after the savory courses mm-hmm. of a fine dining restaurant. But I also have a theory. And my theory is that we sh- we can't call those courses and a slice of your aunt's chocolate cake. They can't both be called dessert, right? Like, right. There, there is this beautiful thing that happens at fine dining restaurants when it's time to move from savory things into sweet things, and it is it it is beautiful in its own work of art thing, but it doesn't do the thing gutturally that that slice of chocolate cake does. And I'm always like, give me those courses, and then on my way out. Like, give me a pair of my pajamas that I can put on in your bathroom, because that's really what I'm trying to sport after a gorgeous meal. And then either send me with it or have it at my doorstep or have it arrive the second I get home already dressed in my pajamas. Like, put a slice of chocolate cake on my pillow, because that's my friend. That's the final kiss off, right? Like, that is dessert. Um, that's both like the peak and the end of the meal for me. And that's, that's where I think, um, that's where I'd like fine dining to go. But I worked in fine dining for years before I opened milk bar. And it was really that the, the, the reckoning or my, my attempt to reckon with like the gorgeous art that is pastry with what dessert is. And I think they're, we should call them two different things because we're not setting either up for success from an right. expectation standpoint. Right. Otherwise. Right. Yeah. Because it is the only thing they have in common is they're sweet. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, and, in, you know, and it's funny, too, because the chocolate cake that my aunt made um, that and, and I mean, and your stuff kind of has this, too. It's it's imperfect. And I yes, I I got her recipe for her chocolate cake. And and my kids loved it. Like, you know, my it was when she would come, she'd bring it for my kids. And it's just basically it's a milk chocolate sheet cake with a with a I don't know what you call it, but like a frosting that you cook on the stove. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a corn syrup. Mm-hmm. Frosting. And then you whisk it over a period of time. And what I I was not getting right was I realized that she was too impatient to whisk the, the frosting the full like hour that you're supposed to come back every 10 minutes and whisk it. She didn't have time for that. A milk so chocolate bar she, on your sheet cake. She put it, <laughs> she put it on there. Cause it, it's like you whip more air into it, but there was something about hers. It was almost like a glaze. And, and it took me a while to realize, Oh yeah. And then to just factor her personality into it. She's not waiting to eat that. No cake. way. Yeah. No she's got to get right to that cake. I love it. I mean, I think there is, that's like the humanity of indulging, right? Where it's like, when you're indulging, you want to be naughty. And I think that there's something so human about the naughtiness of indulging that you don't want to feel, you don't want to feel like you're at a beautiful art museum when you're being naughty and indulging. And so there is an imperfection that I think is 
like the secret ingredient of any great indulgent dessert is it makes you feel a little human that you're going to like mess it up and like get it on your cheeks. Or you're like you're going to you're going to you definitely drop in the chocolate cake and the sort yeah. of like goopy frosting on your white jeans or whatever it is. Yeah, and yeah. you're not going to feel bad about it. And there's yeah. it's like per, it's there's a permissibility to the imperfection of dessert if you do it just right. Right. <laughs> and you're also going to have eaten too much of the batter before it's cooked. Yeah. Thank you. you. Know, because thank I you. mean, just, yeah, it's like, oh, raw egg. You're yeah, not come on. Yeah. I've had much worse than raw egg. Yeah. Can't also, hurt me. you know, it's usually not raw egg that takes people down. It's unheat treated flour. You know, whenever oh, really? someone gets oh, right, sick, right? It yeah, is yeah. rarely the egg. The egg has gotten all the bad rap, and it's actually the flour. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> that this is lobby. like spoken like two people who you know are going. <laughs> there's not like let's let's get real. When we're making cookies in my household or mm -mm. your household, there's like two cookies that make it into the oven. Everything yeah. <laughs> else, I don't know what happened to it. I blacked yeah, yeah. out and woke yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> Now you grew up in a house with people baking, right? And and yeah. was it baking mostly baking or was it also just the full menu? Yeah, I mean it was cooking too, but it was more like midwestern vibes, like casseroles. Um yeah. canning and I, jarring. I, I know I read I'm it, from Ohio, Ohio, but right, right. um then I spent like um my I guess school years in Virginia. Okay. Um by by folks that that are from Ohio through and yeah, through. Yeah. So a lot of that like Midwestern sensibility. But I mean, we never ate out at restaurants. I mean, food wasn't the scene that it is now anyways, but mm -hmm. um, we always cooked, you know, we cooked meals because that was just our reality. Like the closest restaurant to either one of my, or to my grandma's house was like, if you went to the rest, to a restaurant, out to a restaurant, you were going to Wendy's and it was like a 25 minute drive. And it was yeah. a treat when you, when you got it. Yeah. But, yeah. but savory food, savory food was sustenance. I mean, joyful, but sustenance, but where, where we really got involved was in baking. And it was less because it wasn't like a dessert course after every dinner, but it was more like baked goods as a way for these like sweet grandmas and my mom and my aunts to like, you know, get out the Ziploc baggies and dole them out and bring them to work or to school or to neighbors or to the nursing home or what have you. And so we we always had a place for baked goods to go. And so we just, we baked often. Yeah. And they were the kind of like, you know, mother figures, uh, matriarchs that were like, uh, yeah, if you want my attention, you can come stand in the kitchen with me. And that's kind of just yeah. how I got going into baking. Yeah. Yeah, when I was that was I my folks divorced when I was four and we moved uh, back in with my mom's parents and, uh, m you know, my mom was working and my uh, grandfather was kind of old and he, you know, so he was not like a real vibrant presence in my because he was like 18 years older than my grandmother. Oh, wow. And, okay. But she was she was amazing. She was just like she, you know, like she'd make. You know, like you can't ever replicate just her French toast. And it was, you know, it was Pepperidge Farm white bread, eggs and sugar, and that was it. And vanilla. But you just can't get it right. And it's just because she stood there in front of a of a griddle for a thousand hours making French toast. So she got really, really good at it. She goes really good at it. And it's the same thing. I, I spent my childhood in the kitchen with her. And it's still kind of like... It still's my favorite place. It's still like uh, you know, and I. It was definitely a matriarchy. You know, I definitely mm -hmm. was raised by women. I'm kind of more comfortable around women than I am around men. Like when it, you know, at a house party, I'm like, I'll go in the kitchen with the women. <laughs> whoever's in the for me, it's whoever's in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. much it's better true. conversation than whoever's watching the big game. You know, and it's um, true. I'm the person that's always at someone's house. I'm like, put me in the kitchen. Just give me something to do. I'll, yeah. I'll wash your dishes. Even. Right, exactly. Like I'll the do kitchen dishes, is yeah. my safe space. It's like yeah. where you were always welcome, no matter what was going on in life is so true. But also to the French toast thing, like one of the reasons that we like that our menu is what it is at Milk Bar, that like we don't make a chocolate chip cookie. We make a cornflake chocolate chip marshmallow cookie is because like your French toast grandma thing is my my grandma's equivalent is her oatmeal cookie. Where it's mm -hmm. like, I could stand literally side by side with her using the same measuring cups, using the same ingredients. And I swear her cookies were always so much better than mine. And so my philosophy was always like, 
yo, we would never put French toast on the menu. We would never put oatmeal cookies on the menu because I would not dare touch your yeah. friend, your grandma's French toast or my grandma's oatmeal cookies. But we would make like a French toast layer cake or we would make an oatmeal cookie, you know, ice cream flavor or something that like celebrates it without, I would never, I'm not trying to go head to head with anyone's grandma or aunt or whatever your favorite something is. I just want to sell, acknowledge it, celebrate it and bring those like human indulgent vibes yeah. into the world with, you know, broader brushstrokes. Yeah. The same aesthetic, but with a, a surprise. You know, totally. like, cause you know, cause it is like a riff. Yeah. So many of your things are like, you know, like the birthday cake, like to me, the thing that it blows my mind is just that confetti birthday cake. And there's like, there's a little bakery here in Burbank. I live in Burbank, California. There's a little bakery called Martino's and they make these, they're famous for these little square tea cakes. And they're just, it's like a little cupcake, but it's not, it's almost kind of has like a drier texture and it's just got this yellow glaze and it is just the most perfect oh. kind of salty kind of, you know kind of sweet kind oh. of thing but they're making a confetti birthday cake now and that's you you know you did that um, yeah so you know. you know but that was just my reality of like i'm just trying to figure out how to go left of center from my childhood memory which was like box my mom was a working mom so it was like that box funfetti cake with the tub of funfetti frosting like mm-hmm. that is still on my birthday that is the thing that I want on my birthday. <laughs> I, I want to be, I want to be, I want everyone to shh. I just yep. want to do my thing, but I definitely want to eat that out of, out of a nine by 13 pan with a fork and zero. <laughs> <laughs> do you still buy it. the mix for your birthday or do you make it? From so I have, um, you have your I own have an agreement now. with, well, no, hilariously enough, I don't want our birthday. I get our birthday, our birthday cake at Milk Bar every other day of the year, 364. So on my, on my 365th day, I want, I have an agreement with my best friend who is actual, actually we became like best friends because of Milk Bar. She was my opening sous chef. She and I, my birthday's one day, her birthday is the day after. And so we both make each other the fun. We have an agreement. And I, she lives in California. So I ship it from New York to California the day before her birthday. She ships it to me. And we know, cause also when you're a pastry chef, no one makes you birthday cake. Yeah. Someone goes, Oh, and you're like, I'm still a human. I still need my cake. (laughs) But anyways, one one day a year. (laughs) My favorite, I still, and I will request it. And it's, there's a, a wedding cake bakery here in, uh, in LA that Hanson's that's been there for a gazillion years. Oh yeah. Or honestly, and it's, I, 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 I it's no secret Costco sheet cake. Holy shit. I don't hate on a sheet good. cake, man. Holy I don't hate on a sheet cake. They are... feed the masses yeah. and they show up for celebrations far and wide, but you want to know what I'm a, I'm a corner person when it, when it's a sheet cake, I always go, may I please have a corner because you get extra frosting because <laughs> right, exactly. they cover the sides. And exactly. like, I've already done the math there, my friend, give me, <laughs> may I please have a corner? <laughs> yeah. Now, when, I'm you with were, you, though. when you were a kid, did you, were you thinking that this, uh, I mean, were you setting out to be a cook of any kind or? No, I had no clue. I, I I didn't realize that I was, that I had gravitated to the kitchen so much, though it sounds like we're quite similar in that way. It was like, that's where I spent all my free time. But I was always raised to like, you're going to go to college because my parents were like first gen um, college goers and they had saved up enough money to like help get us that start. And the only agreement was like, you can do whatever you want to do in life, but you have to go and get a college education because if you fall back, if you have nothing else to fall back on, we want you to fall back on that. And my parents are like super passionate about what they do for a living. Most passionate accountant, most passionate agricultural economist. I think they were hoping that I'd be like the most passionate engineer or the most passionate you know, Lawyer. actuary. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I, uh, so they were a little like, Ooh, is that really what you want to do for a living? But I graduated from college and on the eve of graduation, I was like, I don't think I want, <laughs> these aren't things that I want to do every day for the rest of my life to make what, a living. What did you, what did you study? Math, applied mathematics and the Italian oh, wow. language, which I was like, Ooh, maybe I'll go be a translator. And my mom was like, Really? Like, <laughs> uh, and instead do I decided speak, do to they just speak Italian in your house. My father does. My uh-huh. father does. Uh, but I, I kind of just had a moment where I was like, you know, what would be really cool to do for the rest of my life. Like, you know, what would really make me happy 
is to work in a kitchen, is to make dessert, is to do the thing that I've actually been doing my whole life every yeah. day um, and figure out how to get paid for it. Turns out you don't make a lot of money as a cook. <laughs> and it's pretty, it's, you know, it's epic grunt work, but uh, it's worth it. It's worth it on yeah. a bunch of levels. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, I mean, I love restaurants, but I, I waited tables. And so I've been in a kitchen. So I know like, Oof. oh no, this is, you know, this is, uh, you are, your life is in there and you're burned and you're, you know, like underpaid and you're there all the time, you know? Yeah. And you even, have to really love it. You have yeah. to love it when no one's looking, you can't love it because of the paycheck. Cause there's not really anything there. Um, and you, it feel like I, the only way I can describe it is like if it feeds you, and you'll know that it's feeding you if it feeds yeah. you. Like yeah, there's, yeah. it's undeniable. You love the energy, you love the hustle, you love the grit, you love sort of like not really being seen. You love that the like relative anonymity of it, and you love that like you don't really have to speak. The food does yeah. all the talking. Yeah, it's yeah. the it's the like feed don't tell. That's does it. The does the repetition get to you or do, is that, is there something? No, interestingly enough, interestingly enough. And I love the other side of like the rule breaking and like doing it different every time and asking what if, but on your way up, you have to also really be in love with the repetition of the pursuit, but in a beautiful way, the repetition becomes almost meditative or the repetition seeming repetition is actually you figuring out like, how can I peel this case of butternut squash faster than I did the last time, right? Mm. Like, what if, why does this apple taste a little bit different than the last case of apples that I broke down? What did I do different in this frosting? What if I whip it 30 seconds more? Does it become fluffier, et cetera, et cetera? Like you become almost more fine-tuned to the intricacy of it in the repetition mm -hmm. and it makes you better. I mean, it's your grandma and her French toast, right? Like yeah, the repetition yeah. is what actually made you so good. And I think that's actually like the short-sighted, view of young cooks on their way up. They think like, oh, I've learned how to do this. So why would I do it, you know, a hundred, a thousand, a million more times? Because you actually get better at it. And yeah. so there's the spirit of like, it's a rush, rush world, but also the repetition part, you can't rush because that's actually where you hone your skills. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a this summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Well, now, um, you went to Italy after school, right? Yeah. To try and yeah. pursue the, the translating? And well, that I guess... You know what? I studied. I figured out <laughs> I am I'm really good at learning what the rules are and then figuring out how to like bend them. So my parents mm -hmm. are like, gotta go to college. And I was like, great, I gotta go to college. But I figured out how to take all of my courses while while living abroad. So I studied abroad and then I figured out how to like oh, shape yeah, yeah. shift it into ways that made me feel like I wasn't going to college in Virginia, but instead going to college in Italy, even though that wasn't part of the program. Right. Uh, so I spent a good amount of time in Florence, Italy. My, my dad's side of the family is all from Northern Italy, but I spent a lot of time in Florence because I could get as all of my credits to transfer. And so I did, I did less cooking there and did a lot more eating, mm -hmm. specifically gelato. Uh, though every time I would try to like bake a cake, 
the beauty of like a, Italian cuisine from a dessert standpoint is like, dude, I could only buy confectioner sugar in like one ounce packets because the Italian, they don't eat super sweet dessert. So mm-hmm. every time I was going to make a classic like American buttercream frosting, I would have to buy like 20 of these little packets of confectioner sugar because they only use it to dust their stuff. And yeah. the woman at the store would be like, who is this crazy yeah. person? And why is she She's buying me out of all my substituting little Substituting this for some cocaine shipment or something? I mean, who you know? knows what she thought I was <laughs> up to. 20 little packets of white powder. She's like, honey, you know that sugar, right? I don't <laughs> even know. Um, did, uh, so... This this question, uh, you know, when you talk about eating gelato and eating cake, how do you not get as big as a house? Uh, I mean, that's a basic I think, uh, that I want to ask everyone that makes pastries. I mean, well, I think, first of all, we're like making anything. It's like it's physical, right? Like especially yeah. at Milk Bar, we sort of say like when you first join Milk Bar, like you have a gym membership because you're carrying like 50 pound bags of flour and sugar our kitchen is massive. So your, your, your steps in a day or whatever that is, is huge. Yeah. But also I just love to be on my feet. I'm a little bit of like, I like to bounce around. I like to be active. The idea of like sitting down for more than an hour is, is hard for me. I like to be on my feet and be around. Um, and I don't know, I guess at some point, I mean, it's not, I, I eat plenty of the dessert. I was going to say, like, you don't eat that much of what you're making, but that's not actually true. I eat a ton of dessert. Um, I guess I just like to be on my feet and be around. But yeah. it's a physical, I mean, it's a physical thing. Like you, you, when you look at people that work in kitchens, they're usually like built almost like you're like, do you work in a kitchen and then go to the gym at like 2 a.m.? And the answer is usually no. I just work in a kitchen. You're sweating it every day. You're moving every day. But I also think you then have a different from from a frying pan. Yeah, yeah. But then you also have like a different relationship with food, too, because you're in it making it every day. And so your eating schedule becomes hysterically erratic because you're cooking and making things for other people during their normal hours. So you're Mm -hmm. doing your thing in the off hours. I don't know. It's a beautiful little like ecosystem and underbelly. Yeah. The part of it is very physical. It also, I mean, in in a way now that, you know, I asked the question, but it does make sense because it does. I mean, I've experienced it myself, but you know, the classic thing that your mom says after Thanksgiving dinner is like, I didn't eat anything today. You know, like I just was here cooking all day and it just occurred to me, I haven't eaten anything, you know? That's it. Yeah. And like, because it feeds you in this way, cause you love to do it. It's, it's a very, it's a very interesting, hilarious, beautiful thing. But for me on like my days off, I'm usually like with my, with my guy, I'm like, I want a big juicy cheeseburger, I, you know what I mean? Like I have my yeah. whole food day planned out and I'm like, and I don't want to be bothered, you yeah, know, yeah. like feed me and then just leave me. <laughs> were, were you guys one of those uh, talking about dinner while eating lunch families? Uh, I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it. It's pillow talk at night, the night before. <laughs> it's when I say, so what, like, what do you got going on tomorrow? It's more like, what are we getting into in the food space? Yeah. hundred percent. the fridge? Yeah. A hundred percent. Like yeah, how dirty great. are we going to make our dirty dessert secret. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, how yeah. are we getting after it and how do we space it out enough so that we can justify as many meals as possible? Yeah. Um. So when you decide like, I'm going to do this, where are you yeah. back in the States when you do that? Or yeah. was it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm back in the States, but I'm a, I'm, I'm, I have an intensity to like, when I have an answer, I'm usually when I have an idea or an answer, I'm usually pretty, um, I'm intense. I'm, I'm impatient about it and I'm ready to go. Like when I go, we just put this, this dessert on the menu at milk bar, the apple cider donut layer cake. When I realized that I thought our fall menu had to have an apple cider donut reimagined as a layer cake, we have this brainstorming session. We all throw out ideas. When I hear the one that I think is that's the one and I'm like, Okay, everyone get out. If this is all we're gonna, this is all we're gonna think about. We're gonna do version and version and version and version. And, yeah. and then I go all in. It was the same thing. So I got back to the States, um, got my diploma, was like, I don't want to be a mathematician. I want to actually go into the kitchen. Then I was like, okay, bye. You know, packed up my bags, got on a Chinatown bus, moved to New York, found an apartment, like did all the things quick, 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 quick. 
And then I was off and I was, my head was, was, you know, I had the blinders on and maybe I still have the blinders on. (laughs) (laughs) So you got a job in a kitchen right away? Yeah. I, I, um, went to culinary school by day and I worked in restaurants by night Wow. and I was a little bit like, well, now I'm behind cause I had to go to college and now I'm behind. Now there's like, you know, French children, when they decide they want to be chefs, they're getting their, they're, they're getting their chops in kitchens at like 12, 13, 14. I'm like, you know, some 19, 20 year, I'm like, I got to get going, man. Mm-hmm. I'm out of time. And I just, I, I went for it heads down. I worked in a bunch of different restaurants, fine dining restaurants, trying to like both hone my craft. And then you have to hone your craft. You have to, you have to get the education, hone your craft. And it's not until you go through these years of doing these things that you then start to figure out what your voice is. Cause so much of it is learning what it is, then learning how to execute someone else's vision. You don't actually know what your vision is until you go through these steps and processes. And I think that's another part of like, you can be intense and be in a hurry to get there, but you have to acknowledge that it's a process and it takes a lot of time. Yeah. There's, I mean, kitchens, especially fine dining kitchens have been, they're always portrayed as like, like a caste system almost like there's this yeah, hierarchy. It's, true. it's a hierarchy for sure. And when you, when you get into that, I mean, what, how are you looking for that? Is it, does it surprise you? And I mean, is it everything that we think it is? Is there really some, you know, angry guy with an accent always yelling at people that they didn't oh, feel the potatoes? It depends went? on where you work. I mean, yeah. also I'm probably aging myself. This is like 20 years ago for me now, but um it was definitely that for me. I think that a lot has changed in our out out loud in and and by and large in how we treat one another and how yeah. we need to be more thoughtful and are more thoughtful about it. But definitely back then it was like a hundred percent. I mean, the number of times that I got you know that I got screamed at or this or that like it it was it's a little bit of this militaristic like you know stripping you down to build you back up approach it's definitely a caste system i i i did i both kind of expected it and was humbled by or you know was sort of like quieted by it but i also in an interesting way loved the pursuit of it. I loved having to work my way up from the top because it was or work my way up from the bottom to the top because it was this clear hierarchy, right? You have to take one step to get to the next step, two, two, two. There's a lot of stuff that's not right about it, mm-hmm. but I loved the hustle of it. I loved like, I'll tell you what, by and large in a kitchen, you know when you've done a good job and you definitely know when you've done a bad job. There's not an in-between, but you also learn enough about yourself to also know that you can't seek someone else's approval. You mm-hmm. have to know also within yourself because there's plenty of other mind games and stuff like that. At least in the kitchens of your kitchen these days i mean the milk bar kitchen is not that um but i think there is a thoughtful nature to what it takes to learn your way up into the top that's important but working in a kitchen i mean it's still hard work it's still hard work the margins aren't huge so where where how you can provide people with like quality of living and killer benefits and make it making it still a really compelling, beautiful, delicious craft for people to fall in love with are things that I think about running, running milk bar, acknowledging that my reality on my way up was wildly different. Yeah. But sometimes you got to take the bad experiences. You learn, you learn as much from the bad experiences as you do from the good experiences. Yeah. Well, and I always have noticed, you know, it's because it is like, it's a kind of hazing. And there are so many different areas where you go through a kind of hazing and you can take that where like you can perpetuate that mm-hmm. cycle or you can decide that was shitty. I hated that. I would have worked a lot harder if you'd been nice to me. You know, it's and, so true. Yeah. I, I sort of say like even before I worked in kitchens, um, my first job was at a bed, bath and beyond folding towels because yeah. I don't know. I just thought that that would be a fun thing to learn. Uh, and uh, I, my first lesson, like in leadership, honestly, was every time the the store would close down and the manager would sort of come on the loudspeaker and be like, okay, we're closed, like fold the towels so we can all leave. And he would just sit up there and like, watch us fold towels. And he'd be like, are you done yet? And it's like, dude, if we all do this together, we yeah, can get yeah. it done. You know, like just the sort of first lesson of like, one day, if I'm ever in charge of someone, I'm going to do everything I can to make them not feel that way. Cause yeah. it's such a basic human thing. 
Right. Uh, and then you learn a lot more of that in kitchens as well. You, you take from the good, you take from the bad for sure. You use the word militaristic. And I, that's always something that struck me. This yes, chef, no chef kind of, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, and that kind of, that kind of heavy, constant reminder of different levels of status it doesn't exist in a lot of workplaces. Like nobody's mm-hmm. saying yes, mechanic, no mechanic, you know? <laughs> no. And I mean, you know, I mean, I guess maybe like in a, in an operating room, you know, like, but even that's then, true. you know, but even then it doesn't seem as like, as much as it, you know, from what we think of as like the culture of this workplace. Mm-hmm. And, and why do you think it is? Why do you think that kitchens got to be so, I mean, especially, squash your ego and then you get to the top and you're known for having a gigantic ego. Like it's just, there's so many weird, (laughs) Well, that but yeah, that part of it is strange. I mean, I would say by and large, it's because talk is cheap in a kitchen, right? Like if you're working in a restaurant kitchen, people are waiting for their dishes, right? And so it's not about being right or being wrong. It's about getting great food out on time. Yeah. And it is the sort of like, it's cooking, it's, it's cooking, not, not it's, it's, it's letting the food do the work. It's the, it's the, you know, not saying, but instead doing, it's yeah. not talking, it's instead feeding. And so it's a little bit of that, like, we don't have time for a conversation. Right. And that does become, that can become kind of suffocating because then nothing really gets resolved. It's sort of like, I'm right, you're wrong, Im- implied, I'm right, you're wrong. Let's go out the door right. um, where there there's not room for improvement or constant improvement, if that's the case. But you are right. But it's also because, I mean, food is perishable. It's delicious at, mm-hmm. at you know, there is a peak when it is its most delicious. And there's not time or space for anything else. But if you think about like an operating room, I imagine it's the same thing of like, yes, yes, doctor, no doctor. Yes, nurse, yeah. no, you're Roger, that sort of thing. And same thing in the military, at least if you're at war in battle, right? Like it's, it's, there's an urgency to it and it's not about language. It's about action. Yeah. Uh, but it is kind of interesting that, that the food, you know, certain parts of the food world are like that, well, but it teaches you how to be rigid and it teaches you a certain, yeah, it teaches you how to stand straight in a certain way that, um, that's, it's, it's interesting and different and, and it forces you to think about your craft in a certain way for sure. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think, I mean, that makes sense that it's because there's, you're in a pressure cooker. You're, you're on a time, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it, there's time and it's, it's all put up or shut up. There's no time for your issues. There's just, make the fucking salad and get the salad out there. And <laughs> time is precious. That's yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and it's, you know, I mean, when I waited tables and I waited tables in, at Did Casa, you get yelled at? Casa Lupita in Naperville, Illinois. I oh mean, my God. not really that. Well, there were guy, there were line cooks that were not very friendly and you just they learned nice to you. Yeah. And you learned which ones are nice, but it's like you learn anything. Don't, don't fuck with that guy. Be nice to that guy. Like if that guy wants to like bring that guy a margarita and he'll, That's you it. know, and he'll, and then you'll you be learn how to him. get that guy on your side, right? Yeah. Like you learn so much working in a restaurant from a human standpoint, like human yeah. nature, both in your coworkers and in how you, you know, wait tables. And you, I mean, you're, you're, everyone's bringing a different energy to the restaurant and yeah. you got to figure out how to survive it all and how to yeah. thrive. <laughs> I, I, uh, it's also too. It's like it's funny to me because we talk about we're talking about uh, the military, uh, an operating room, and the kitchen, and those you know because I can't. I mean, offhand, I can't think of another one where it's like there's this time crunch. But like one is a war, one is one is a literally life or death usually, and one is getting food out. And that was it's when a I, salad. When I, it's a piece it's, of cake. Literally. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. And when I worked in a restaurant, like I would have moments, you know, where I was slammed and I'd had four, you know, five tables and everything came up at once and I, and I was stressed. And then I would, re- I'd have these moments where I realized the most important thing in my world right now is getting that guy who's kind of a dick to me, getting him his iced tea. That's the most important thing in my life right now. And I would just be like so stunned at how screwed up that was, but how unavoidable it was. It's just a fact. I can't Did you work- ever have um like server nightmares where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're oh. like, I forgot to bring that guy his ice tea. <laughs> for years afterwards, for years yes. afterwards, the, you know, yes. uh, 
tray carrying trays with like you know like because it was it was Casa Lupita it, like you know sizzling fajitas and hot enchiladas and big you know those big heavy crockery oh, plates oh. right next to your ear you know I had neck burns you know from just holding enchiladas on my oh. on my shoulder and I Dude. actually I actually still uh, I, you can't hear it now but I have a click in my wrist that developed over holding up big tray. And I mean like big trays with like, you know, eight or nine entrees on it and carrying it out. And I got this click in my wrist that has continued to this day from Dude. waiting tables. Yeah. Casa Lupita is just waiting. It's just waiting for you to file your class action lawsuit. But I do I think, think it's I think also it doesn't interesting. Exist anymore. If we talk about all these things, right? There's another piece of it too that's like, Man, I hope anyone that has never worked in a restaurant yes. that's listening is like, man, you know what? Maybe I should take it a little easy on yep, like yep. the people that are working in the restaurant because yeah. it is a thankless job and there's a lot to navigate in it. And like maybe that iced tea, maybe you can wait another minute or maybe yeah, you could yeah. be like, hey, bud. Right. When you get a minute, you know what I mean? Yep, we bring, yep. so, we put so much of our like energy and emotion onto the people that serve us in restaurants in ways that's not always or often incredibly favorable to them. No, I say no, this, no. I worked in, I worked in the front of house of a restaurant as well on my way up because I wanted to, I wanted to understand all the different facets of it, um, which allows you to be a better person in the back of house. If you understand what the people in the front of houses, but of it's course. basically just trying to get everyone to move to center. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. yeah. How can no, we all I mean, just be a little it, lighter with each other? <laughs> one of the, I mean, one of the things that I, you know, that makes me like the kind of professional I am in my field is that I loaded trucks and I got people mm. coffee and I coiled mm. cable and I, you know, I did all the, because I went to film school and I was an intern and then I was a production assistant. And I know so many actors that I work with. And it's been a pet peeve of mine throughout my career where people are like, what's taking so fucking long? And it's like, well, you wouldn't know, <laughs> would you? Because all you know is getting here, sitting in a chair and having people paint yeah. your face and then go sit in your own trailer and wait. Like that's that's <laughs> that's the extent of your knowledge of how this works. Dude, um, it is so true to the extent, too, that I don't know if you're like this. I did not go to film school, but I I'm, I understand enough about the inner workings of things and seeing how many people are on, you know, pull up to work on a lot. Whenever I have to do something like that, I'm always like, can I help? Like, do you yeah. want to give me another job before I have to do the <laughs> other job? Because, like, I'm in it. Like, how yeah. else do you say to someone, like, I'm in it with, can I coil that cable for you? And they're just like, yeah. oh, my you're not allowed to touch the cable. I'm, you know what I mean? Right, like right, then right. all these it's rules. It's a union but, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there is a thing of just like, I can get you, I can get, I can get you iced tea or oh, I yeah. can make my own iced tea. Right. I don't, you know what I mean? It oh, is I, funny I, I it almost always. always, unless they say that I can't, I get my own food because I just, I, it, I don't want someone waiting on me. I, I want to, <laughs> you know, and it's also, it's like, that process of choosing it. And, and I mean, and that's one of the biggest fun things about working on a set is like, there's a little kitchen in a truck and they'll make me whatever I want. You know, there's a little menu that I can choose from and I can take however long I want yeah. to, to do my little modifications. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. On May 10th, kingdom of the planet of the apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you're in these fine dining kitchens, I mean, when do you start to 
when does the dissatisfaction with that kind of career track set in and how does it manifest itself? That's a good question. I think that, I mean, in kitchens in general, like the typical rule of thumb is you, when you're, when you start working somewhere, you're making at least a one year commitment. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of like, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to get in and get onboarded. Then you're going to learn how to execute. And then you you have to do that repetitively. There right. is a point where you sort of, where you, where you get a sense of like, I'm, I'm, I either have hit a ceiling or I'm, I'm not learning my, my, I've sort of plateaued in my learning. And then you typically sort of say, okay, where else do I want to learn? Who else is doing something cool in food that I want to learn from? What's my next commitment? That's typically how it went for me. Um, and then at some point along the way, you sort of go like, I'm ready to execute on my own food. But I, I, everyone's a little different. I mean, nowadays with with restaurants and food, like it's shape-shifted and changed so much that a lot of times it's what's right for your life and and how do you balance all of those things. A lot of times, though, I think it's just like, what kind of cuisine do you want to learn how to make? And how do you get in there and work your way around it and work your way up and so on? But I mean, some people work in the same restaurant for decades and work for, you know, an organization forever. And some people work months or, Mm -hmm. you know, weeks until they sort of say, this is not for me, but I don't know. Everyone's a little different. Everyone deals with the pressure of working in a restaurant differently. It seems like most of the chefs that, you know, get to be known, um, you know, that I, that, you know, and I mean, it's all, you know, so much, and it's so funny now that so much of being a successful chef is like getting on TV. Um, (laughs) Which is like, it's weird, but you got into because you, know, you want to feed people, and yeah. now all of a sudden, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And you got to learn how to be on camera, which is a totally different, weird skill. You know that you just that nobody can teach you. You got to learn it, but or have a knack for it to begin with. Um, but it does seem like so many of the of the chefs that I that I you know the n- notable chefs that I know did. A little stint here, a little stint there, a little stint mm-hmm. here, a little stint there. Like there's no there's no real percentage in it to them to kind of learn in one place. And is that mm-hmm. generally true? I mean, is there many people, you know, that start working, you know, at, at you know. I think uh, the resume building is really important, right? Mm-hmm. You want to sort of say that I've worked for, I've worked under this chef this chef, this chef, or I've worked in these three, four, five great kitchens. And part of that is resume. And also, honestly, part of it is you go to culinary, let's say you go to culinary school, they're going to teach you how to make a genois and how to make a creme anglaise and, 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 and. But honestly, every kitchen you go into and every chef that you work under has a different approach to Mm -hmm. how to make a cake or how to make, how to roast a chicken or how to, um, poach a lobster. And so you're also working for the chefs because you're, you want to learn their tips and tricks, like, like, like face to face. That's what you Mm -hmm. want to learn. And that's what you want to experience. I mean, it comes down to like the most intricate, like they use blue tape in this kitchen. And instead of like ripping it off to label the quart container, you cut it with scissors. Only this type of scissors you use are these specific shears. And you only use a Sharpie that is this you know, that is this um size tip and so on and so forth. And they're sort of like little, they're like insider moments that make you feel like you're a part of this club, this group, this organization in the know. And it sets you up for presumably future success because you, they imprint you. That like organization, that culture, how they do anything imprints you. And that makes you better and, and better positioned into the future to run your own team kitchen, restaurant, bakery, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Tell me. I don't um, know. And then it's brag on it. And then honestly, it's bragging rights. You've yeah. survived. Like it's as much that as it <laughs> yeah, is. Like yeah. you've survived that kitchen. You've right. proven that you have the guts and the grit right. to survive and thrive. And right. that's really when you've taken uh, off. I imagine on that resume too, if it's like, oh God, she worked for that guy for 14 that's months. That's a big deal. Like, holy moly. She must be able to take anything, you know? That's a bit like, that's a big deal. You know yeah. what I mean? That you like, that you have it in you, the sort of like staying power of like staying on the line. I mean, a lot of these places you're working, you know, five, six, seven. I mean, this is all restaurant talk, not necessarily bakery talk, but like you're working crazy hours and crazy yeah. days. And it's like, well, that, that person that person's got like a serious backbone, which you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it goes a long way. 
Tell me how you started working for David Chang. So I started working for Dave. Um, I was working for another restaurant um, and they needed help with these sort of like, they're called HACCP plans, they're hazard analysis plans. But I basically got linked in with Dave because he needed help. And we realized really quickly that uh, our moms live like a mile and a half apart from each other in Virginia. And we oh, wow. had, we both had this really interesting, went to culinary school, worked in fine dining, but like longed for... Um, finding like great food through a more like democratic and casual lens. And he had just opened the Momofuku's and we kind of just hit it off mm -hmm. and uh, realized that I was like, I want to work for you. Like you, you seem to have the same sensibilities. You're intense. You're this, you're that through the culinary lens that I want to be through the pastry lens. Um, and so I, I started working for him and helping him, helping him build Momofuku. He knew I had like dessert experience. So one day he was like, this is just a waste of all of our time. Like just start making dessert for the, for the restaurants. I started making desserts for the restaurants and eventually a space next to one of the restaurants became available. And he was like, this is also a complete waste of time. Like you're not a restaurant pastry chef. I know that you, what you really want to do is just like democratize baked goods and do it on your terms. And so he helped me take out the lease for Milk Bar, the first lease for Milk Bar and um, really sort of like helped support me as I was, as I was getting things going and taking off and still to this day is like, you know, one of my greatest compatriots. And uh, when I need advice or what have you, call him up and he's like, Toast, what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, it's good to have someone help you. That's, I mean, that's like, yeah. there are so many success stories that I know of. And it, it, it's kind of, you know, it's not always the, the front page news of their story, but they had help. They had, they had real reliable partners and there was, that kind of went beyond just mm -hmm. some calculated business relationship. It was, there was, you know, there was like a philosophical bond or just, you know, a personal, mm -hmm. like, I like this person, and especially, it, you know, the similarity between show business and, and television and what you guys do is you're going to spend a lot of time with this person. So you better like them, That's you right. know, you better. Yeah, you better. it's the sort of like no one does it alone. And in the in the food space, you have to have someone that like gets like the best work you can do if you're thinking about that with someone in the food space is go out and eat with them. Like, yeah. do you eat the same way? Do you share the same like? dirty dessert secrets do you both like a juicy hamburger or you know what i mean like sh like trading the food stories of of recommendations and stuff back and forth is the best way to know whether y'all see eye to eye on things yeah now you i mean you have these ideas about and milk bar opens and like how long do you think it takes before it kind of where you would consider it really catching on is it is it Right at the start, or does it take yeah, a year? I mean, I guess it what do they say about like actors in Hollywood? Like every overnight sensation yeah, yeah. is ten so, years in the making, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like every day felt like we had made it, right? Like day one, we opened November fifteenth, two thousand eight. There was a line out the door around the corner. I was like, "What are these people waiting in line for? Like, yeah. what in the world? Or they don't even know what they're waiting is going on." And every day has been a roller coaster, but every day we find different moments of that right of like mm -hmm. people showed up and showed out for us on day one uh people had nice things to say about us and told their friends or wrote about it or, or put it in print or what have you and we have just been like our success and our growth has largely been in part of people that want to champion us that 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 get what we're trying to do and want to champion and celebrate and support us along the way and like honestly you're nothing without that like you yeah. need that as much as you need, need that in a partner, you need that in the people that you're doing the work for or in support of as well. When do you like, you know, you, you have ideas about food, you have ideas about aesthetics, you have ideas about flavor. Like when do you have to really start becoming a marketer and really thinking in terms of, <laughs> it's a you good know, question, you know, like where, because yeah, because sure bars you, now, yeah. no, milk bars now at the size where it's like, we have a creative marketing press team of like, 20 something people yeah. and you have to learn how to 
speak their language. Yeah. And you have to learn that that stuff costs money. And, you know, <laughs> but it's the same thing. You know what I mean? We're like, oh, yeah. is it free anymore? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. You have to learn, you know, all of the acronyms, LTV and CAC and LTO and, 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 and you have to respect their craft and their science because they're helping you grow the universe of people that you get to show up and bake for every day. But I would say, oh, probably eight or 10 years into the business, oh, we wow. hired our first person where we were doing more than just telling our story um, yeah. and really thinking about, I mean, part of that was also because we started shipping nationwide and shipping overnight. And then we started creating cookies and ice cream and truffle crumb cakes for the grocery. And you know, if you don't, if you don't do that, then you're doing, you're putting all this work forward, but it's for not because it's getting drowned out in a sea of other people and other things and other businesses doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, especially in, in the aisles of the grocery store, you know, and if no one knows you're there, they don't know what the milk, what like milk in a pink cursive is and stands for, then you might never have the opportunity to feed them. And I mean, that's the beauty of marketing. But yeah, I mean, all of that part of business. When do you need an operations team? When do yeah. you need, you know, a real a real leadership team to help you grow? I think you you certainly know I approach it from like a bottleneck standpoint. I always would go like, what's our bottleneck? One year it was like, we can't co scoop cookies fast enough. Okay, bottleneck. Let's like how to uncork the bottleneck, get a cookie scooping machine and, and, and. So one year it yeah. was... How do we get more people more excited about Milk Bar? How do we get more people to know what cereal milk is? We need a marketing team. Okay. Um, when you, the, the transition from things that you have strict control over, quality control, mm -hmm. to when it becomes a mass marketed product, is that difficult to keep the quality? Yeah. Is it a struggle? Well, it's harder because we now have milk bar bakeries between New York and LA with, with a ton of cities in between. And we're in grocery stores all over the US and we send care packages to doorsteps and so on. And so it's part of it is the scale because you aren't, you can't be in front of every oven to like poke the cakes to make sure that they have risen the right way and peeled back from the edges in just the right way. You can't look at everything with your eyes. And so you're constantly trying to train your team, your incredibly ever growing team to be your eyes and ears and to champion them to be their own eyes and ears while also trying to look for all of the things in between. Beyond that, though, even if everything comes out of the oven, great. Did it get packaged right? Did the truck it go in? Was it refrigerated at the right temperature? Did someone leave, you know, a pallet of cookies in the back of their warehouse that they found a week later? Like there are yeah. all there are just more places where some of these human errors go to hide. And yeah. so you just you your world expands and you're your brain almost wants to explode, but you have to try and keep sanity and take things day day by day and challenge by challenge. Yeah. And when you find those things, write them, right? I imagine you That's just kind of have the to most keep vigilant. You can do. Yeah. yeah. Vigilant with quality control, I guess. That's it. Um, where do you, where do you want to go with Milk Bar? What do you, I mean, do you have any sort of concrete plans? Is it just kind of steady as she goes? Or? I mean, it's steady as she goes. I think like aspirationally, it's to be the most beloved dessert people in the world. It's to yeah. be the people that you trust when you're like, I'm celebrating something big or I'm celebrating something small, but it's a big deal for me or whatever it is. Or like, I am trying to put on my pajamas and eat some like gooey chocolate cake that we're the people that make a difference for you. Um, in any, in any way, shape or form. Also just as an approach to life, people that sort of like remind you that you can sort of break the rules a bit. You can make a little bit of a mess. You can sort of like do your own thing through the lens of dessert. Mm -hmm. Uh, cause I just think we need more of that in this world. That's, that's the like by and large aspiration, what that actually means, how we get there. I mean, for me, it's kind of like, how do I show up for like the 10 year old version of myself that was like grocery shopping with my yeah. mom? Walking up and down the cookie aisles being like, mom, can we please get that cookie? And she'd be like, no, we'll just go home and bake cookie. You know, yeah. just like showing up and reminding people that the world is still full of like possibility and color and lightness in a way that sometimes I think we forget. Yeah. Dessert is sort of the mechanism with which I think we do our best work. How do you balance staying the same with introducing new things? You know, like, you know, like, which, is, which is more pressure, you know, I mean, because you don't want to screw it up. You don't want to introduce something yeah. new that doesn't live up to the old stuff, but you also yeah. don't want to 
you know, people want to get stale. People have short right? attention spans. Yeah. Yeah. I'm different today than I was yesterday. So like you have to change in order to stay the same. But at the same time, like the reason I want that funfetti cake on my birthday is because it marks a moment, you know, like the, the, the sanctity of being able to trust that when you get cereal milk ice cream, it's still the same delicious cereal milk ice cream is important too. I think it's, it's having the boundaries of knowing what we do and doing it really well and not ever taking for granted that the recipe made time and time again, uh, it's still breakable. But I think the other piece of it is never being afraid to, um, to try new things on for size. Like, the birthday cake, the milk bar birthday cake wasn't the first thing we made at milk bar. We started making it like two years into milk bar. So if Mm. we weren't courageous enough to think about what else we were missing, we wouldn't have actually come up with the very thing that you know and love that we make right now. And so Mm -hmm. my sort of thing is like, no, it's kind of like cheering two kids on in the same race, right? Like cheering your kid in that always comes in first place, but also really championing your kid that doesn't come in first place. Like you can be, you can beat your sibling. And so like, whenever we're thinking about like, all right, this apple cider donut cake, how do we know that it really crushes when it dethrones the birthday cake, you know? And so we're, we're, we're constantly trying to compete with ourselves with like the biggest smile on our face where it's always going to be a win-win where like nothing's a loss as long as we show up and are like putting our most delicious foot forward and bodyguarding anything that goes on the menu to be like, Yo, if if you, this doesn't make you want to put on your sweatpants and run to your couch, it's not done yet. While also continuing to do what we do really well with mm-hmm. that same sentiment. What do you want people to take away from your story? Like, you know, from your path, your journey, um, you know, like what what do you think? What would you like people to think of you? I mean, aside from delicious cakes and yeah. cookies. Yeah, I think it's, I think it is, it's like, it's the, the figure out what feeds you yeah, and, and choose that and do it. If you, if you figure out what it is, you'll know that it's right. If you don't care how much money you make or how many hours it takes up in your day, like at, at any cost, the cost is irrelevant to you. And then I think it's be patient because it's not a linear pursuit to figure out what it actually means for you. So like choosing food for me was right because it was what fed me. I had no clue. I'm still figuring out the clue of like, what does that actually mean for me? I unpack it a little bit more every day. Mm -hmm. So I think it's figure out what feeds you and then acknowledge that like it's this pursuit. It, mm-hmm. You can't be in a hurry to pursue it. You can be intense about your pursuit of it, but it's not linear and like enjoy every moment because you're going to unpack something new every day and learn something new every day. And you're going to make mistakes along the way. And all those things are going to be like the epic part of the wild ride that it is. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes people younger than me, when I talk to them about just sort of more in philosophical broad terms about, you know, mastery of something. And when you, when they, I think a lot of young people, when they find out that old people, and I'm considering myself one, uh, they they don't know either. You know, like they're still just kind of putting <laughs> out fires. We're all just figuring it out. <laughs> We're all just, and I, you know, and like as far, like if, you know, I, this podcast, I'm supposed to ask, ask people what the point of their history is. Like, I don't fucking know for myself. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I still am like, if you said like, where do I want to be? I'd be like, I, I think there's, I think it's close to the ocean, you know, but I mean, beyond that, I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. Uh, and I, as I've gotten older, I mean, I always had that hunch, especially getting into the world mm-hmm. of grownups and realizing, oh my God, grownups, they don't know, you know, they don't they know. know any more than, yeah. <laughs> and, and it used to sort of bother me. And now I kind of like, it's comforting. It's kind of like, it's we're awesome. all in this together. And, and yeah, and it's not just that. Like there's something beautiful about not having figured it out because it means yeah. you're you're never going to stop. You're always going to keep learning and learning and learning. But can we also say to anyone listening, don't be the kind of grown up that pretends like you have it all figured out. Yeah, like don't. just it's no giggle fun. a little bit. Give me a little wink when I see you to be like, yeah, I'm just Josh and I have no freaking clue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like that's the best, I think that's the best part of being a grown up. When you look at someone and go, you are so full of it. You don't have any more of a clue than I have of a clue. But yeah. like, don't let the little ones know yet. They'll figure right. it out. They'll right, figure right. it out soon enough that we don't right. actually have it figured out either. Exactly. 
Well, listen, thank you so much for sitting down with me and, and talking to me. And uh, good luck with the book, which is called Every Cake mm-hmm. Has a Story, correct? That's it. That's it. Um, so, you know, buy that for the for the young people in your lives. And Christina Tosi, um, good luck on the book and everything else. And I will uh, keep eating your food. Amazing. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with more Three Questions. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 